How many of you brought your Bible with you this evening? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, page number 1247, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I'd like to read maybe some verses here from this text tonight. I want to ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me uh, from uh, a couple of these verses tonight. Galatians, chapter number 5, 1247, if you have an old Schofield Bible. While you're turning your places there, find your place. Is there our bus? Our buses uh, did a good job today. We had 312 riders on our church buses today, and if I'm not mistaken, there may have been one other time, but I think maybe that's the first time uh, since we started back in September that we've topped a 300 mark. Maybe wrong about that, but a good crowd. I happened to I stuck my head in the gym. They're having a promotion all, all month long calling it Melvin's March Madness, and it's about basketball. And so different bus routes are competing. They're shooting free throws. This is before church, not during church, but they were shooting free throws, one bus route against the other. Just a lot of pandemonium, a lot of fun in the gym before church. And I appreciate the good job that all of our bus captains are 312 riders on the church buses today. What a good day. Appreciate that so much. Top bus was the Pofftown route at 45. The Murray Road route had 42. The King Rural Hall route had 35. The West Winston route had 16. The Kernersville route had 6. The South Winston route, 32. Uh, Spanish van number 3 or Spanish route number 328. King Rural Hall route, 35. Spanish 1 route had 23. The Mount Airy route, 21. The Murray Road route, 42. Spanish 2 bus route had 30. Pofftown route, 45. Ogburn Station, 18. Siloam route, 16. And if you add all that together, uh, there were 312 riders on our church buses today. We had two folks that were saved on the other side of the building. And then we had 28 first-time riders on our church buses today. Wasn't that a blessing? And I tell you what, our bus workers, I thank God for the bus workers, our drivers. Uh, you know, a lot of folks been filling in, helping us drive right now. And I appreciate all the hard work that went in to the bus ministry today. And appreciate those who worked in the cafeteria providing a meal. And then those who took care of the children's churches. What a good day. I appreciate God helping us. And I think we had, what, three million in church this morning, right around there. And so a good crowd in church this morning. But we did have a good crowd. Even the early service, we had a good crowd. And then the... Uh later on service. I told Brother Young, I said, now look, in the morning, the early service, folks just getting woke up, and I said, sometimes it's a little quiet, but don't let that bother you. Just go ahead and preach. I thought it was a little bit lively in the early service, and then it was real lively in the second service, but I told him, I said, now look, you're going to get loose in that second service. Because I do. I mean, I preach it the first time in the early service, and then by the time I preach it again the second time, I'm a little bit looser with it. And I said, you're going to enjoy preaching in the second service because I don't know why it's just a little looser for you, not the people, but for you. And after church, he said, you know something, Brother Tim? You're right, man. It's easier to preach in that second service, not because of the people, but you're just more familiar with the message. And uh, so uh, I appreciate what the Lord did for us in our service this morning, all right? How many of you brought your Bible? You got it? Are you ready for this? And we got to go here in a minute. But I want to read, if you'll let me, I want to read verse 19 down through verse 23. And leave your Bibles open and please follow me. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And before I even read it, I just want to tell you, we got a real mess right here. It is a total mess. What will happen in our lives if we follow after the flesh? 
Now, if you don't believe that, look at verse 19. Adultery. Boy, there goes our marriage right down the drain. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murderer, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I've told you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you want to just write down in verse 19, 20, and 21, just put mess over that. Because I'm telling you something, when you start following the flesh, your life is going to wind up in one big mess. Can I have an amen? I tell you what, again, I don't want to live in verse 19, 20, and 21. I don't want that mess to be a part of my life. So what do I need then? Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's a capital S. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Is love and then joy. Leave your Bibles open. Let's look at this together. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for the uh, privilege to be in church. Lord, to be able to fellowship, uh, to uh, sit with good people, have our hearts blessed. And then I pray now for the word of God that you touch it and use it tonight to help us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us for the last several Sunday evenings, then you'll know that we're currently engaged in a series of messages that I've entitled Fruitful, Fruitful Living. And by the way, the emphasis is on the word full. Fruitful living. You know, as a people of God, our lives ought to be full of fruit. Not corrupt fruit, not rotten fruit, mind you, but good fruit. Fruit that bears evidence to the fact that we are the people of God. And most of all, fruit that brings forth glory to the God that you and I say that we love and serve. So we ought to be full of of fruit. But now here's, here's where the rub comes in. In our own efforts, because of our own nature, we can't live in verse 22 and in verse number 23. As I said a moment ago, we're more apt, because we have a sinful nature, an old nature, we're more apt to find ourselves living in verse 19, 20, and 21. What a mess. You see, on the inside of every one of us, there is a war that is going on on the inside of every child of God. There's a struggle. There's a battle between the flesh, the old nature, and the new nature, the Holy Spirit who now lives in our life. That's the reason back up in verse number uh, 17 we read these words, for the flesh, the old nature, lusteth against the spirit, the new nature, and the spirit, the new nature, lusteth against the flesh, the old nature, and they're contrary the one to the other. Boy, you can't get any more contrary in verse 19, 20, and 21 till you, get, till you find yourself there in verse 22 and verse number 23. What a contrary. These are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you will. That's what we read about in verse 17. The war, the battle that is going on on the inside of every one of us. And the sad thing about it is we can't win this battle on our own. Try as we might, fight as we may, we will surely lose the battle and our lives will become a real mess. I've said this before, the harder we try, the farther we're going to fall. The only way you and I can find ourselves in verse 22 and in verse number 23 is if we do two things in this walk of life. First of all, number one, we have got to abide 
in Christ. If I'm going to live in verse 22 and verse 23, I've got to abide in Christ. That's the reason Jesus said this right here in John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. In other words, as I abide in Christ, as I stay close, as I remain, as I continue in Christ, the Bible said that he is going to help me to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. So as I abide in Christ, number one, I can't live in verse 22 and verse 23, but also as I surrender daily to the Holy Spirit, once again, I can find myself living in verse 22 and verse 23. That's why we're reading about in verse 22 the fruit of the Spirit. Can I say it like this? The results of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life is what we read in verse 22 and in verse number 23. So as I abide in Jesus, as I surrender and yield to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will produce these characteristics, or maybe I can say it like this, these flavors of this fruit in my life. As I've told you a few times already, this kind of fruit, this kind of living is not something that is produced by us. It is something that is produced in us as we yield to the Holy Spirit and we stay close to Jesus. Oh, what a difference it makes in our daily lives as we abide in Jesus and surrender to the Holy Spirit. By the way, what a difference it would make in our home life if we just abode in Jesus and, and yielded every day to the Holy Spirit in our life, can you imagine what home life would be like if we live, if every member of your house lived in verse 22 and verse 23? Can you just imagine? And I pray this. I pray this for my home. I pray this for my children's home. I pray this for our, the homes that make up our church. I pray, God, in my home, may we have love. May we have joy. May we have peace. May we have long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. I pray that. You know why? I want that inside of my home. You can have all that drama. Hey, you can have all that quarreling, that fussing and fighting, can't get along, call the sheriff over all the time. You can have that. If that's the way you want to live your life, I'd rather have love and joy, and peace, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith. I want that to be a part of my home life. How about you? I don't know about you. Save your drama for your mama. I don't like, I want to have peace in my life. I'm too old. I am too old now in this life to live in all that mess. Amen? And what a difference it would make in our home life. I mean, you stop and think about that. If this was the, if this was the characteristics of our home, you'd be in a hurry to get home every night. You wouldn't stop by Walmart and go down every aisle, pick up everything and look at it. I mean, man, you'd be in a hurry to get home if your home was full of love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. I mean, that's, if that was our home life, every one of us would get off our job. We'd probably punch out a little early and get home because, man, that's what we got way, a little bit of heaven on this earth. What about your home life? What about, I pray that for our church. Oh, that God would create an atmosphere of joy 
and love and peace and goodness and so forth in our church family. Wouldn't it be wonderful if folks walked into our church, they may not want what we've got, but they would see that we were enjoying what we've got, and they may not want it, but they'd know one thing about us. We sure are having a good time with it if we would just have love and joy and peace and so forth in our church. What an atmosphere it would be if our church, if our services was more like verse 20, 22 and 23 and less like verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. I don't know about you, but life's too short to come to church and fuss and fight. Am I right about that? Life is too short for me to come over here and I can't speak to this one and they can't speak to me and I can't eat with them and I can't, I can't fellowship with this one because I'm going to make this crowd mad or that crowd. Can I give you a, a word for all that? Hogwash foot on that kind of church service. Hey, I want to come. Man, I want to feel some love and some joy. I want to have a little bit of joy while I'm at church. I want to have peace in my heart. Man, I want to be a part of a fellowship that's, that's loving Jesus. Boy, if we'd live in verse 22 and 23, we'd have revival at this church. That's what we'd have. And just to stop and think about this, God says this could be yours if you would abide in Christ and yield to the Holy Spirit. Oh, just think about it. We don't have to live in all that drama. We don't have to live in all that mess. Hey, the sheriff don't have to be over at the house every other night. Hey, we don't have to hate each other. Hey, we don't have to not speak to each other. I mean, we can have this, verse 22 and 23, if we want it. It's all up to us. Now, as I approach this text again, let me just remind you, look at verse 22. Uh, verse 22, it talks about the fruit, singular, and not fruits, plural. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to think of it in terms like not an apple hanging on a tree, but a cluster of grapes. Because the Holy Spirit has one fruit, but it has nine different flavors. And we started last week talking about love. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, what's first of all? He's going to produce love in our life. By the way, the, that's, by the way that, that's that God-like kind of love, that agape love. And the only way that you and I can love like God loves is for the Holy Spirit to produce that on the inside of us. And then tonight, we come to the second fruit, the flavor of the fruit, and that's the word joy. Now, I've told you this before. Literally, what we've got in verse 22 and verse 23 is a picture of Jesus. It is his resume. I mean, if you want to see what Jesus was like while he was here on this earth, read verse 22 and verse number 23 because this is what Jesus was like. How many of y'all know that he was like love while he was here on this earth? He loved everybody. I mean, there was nobody. They sang that song. And I'm thinking, if I was listening right, they were talking about that woman that was taken in the act of adultery and brought into the temple that morning and thrown down at the feet of Jesus. How humiliating, how embarrassing that would be. And they threw her down at the feet of Jesus. But guess what? Jesus loved her in spite of her. I mean, he was love. He loved the lost. He loved the last. He loved the least. He was love. And the, the Holy Spirit wants to look at me tonight and say, man, I want you to love like Jesus loved. But the only way I can do that is to abide in him and to yield, surrender to the Holy Spirit. But now we come to joy. Now let me tell you something about Jesus while he was here on earth. Boy, did Jesus have joy. 
Jesus was full of joy. Now contrast that with last day's Christianity. There are more people in this room tonight that the word misery sums up your life and not the word joy. I, in fact, I just I wonder tonight if, 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 if at every door we had a misery meter set up at every door tonight and somehow or another you walked in the doors to take your seat in this auditorium. I wonder how many times that old meter would have went knock, 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 knock and lit up. You know why? Because so many people, so many of God's people are either, number one, have no joy or else they're dangerously running low on joy. I mean, let's just face it, man. Some of God's people are some of the most miserable people on the earth tonight. If you don't believe that, stand right here and look at some of y'all. I mean, let's face it, man. Some people, honestly, I think it would literally break their face if they smiled. I think it's okay if we smile once in a while, especially when we come to the house of God. Now, you stop. Think of it. Just bear with me, but just think of this right now. How many people do you know right now that have joy? How many people in your circle right now do you really know that have joy? Go ahead and think about it. I dare you. How many people do you know right now that really have joy? And then let me tell you this. Jesus didn't come into this world and die on Calvary to make us miserable. In fact, the Bible said that Jesus came into this world just for the opposite. He left heaven, came into this world, and then he died so he could bring us true inward peace, contentment, satisfaction, and joy. If you don't believe this, look at John chapter 10 and verse number 10. The Bible said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Jesus said, Away with all that. I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know what? He didn't just come just so we could have life, but he came so we could have abundant. You know what? When I think about abundant life, I think about a saucer and a cup. And I think about somebody pouring coffee. I don't drink coffee unless it's in a milkshake. But you know, so when you drink, pour that coffee in there, and all of a sudden the cup gets full, and then it starts just running over the sides, and it's filling up the saucer, the, the platter underneath it. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give you and me. Not just a cup full. Man, he wants, he wants the cup to get full and Mr. Saucer to have some of it as well. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you. Believe this or not, he wants you to have joy. In fact, John 15 verse, uh, verse number 11 says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy, my joy, might remain in you, and that your joy, say it with me, might be not, not, not three quarters, not half, not 99.9%. Jesus said, I want you to be full of full of joy. Now, if that's the case, then what in the world is wrong with us? I read, if I understand that verse right, Jesus said, I want you to have the same kind of joy that I had when I was in this earth. You know something, the truth of the matter is, you think about the life of Christ, you can't miss the fact that Jesus had joy in spite of all the circumstances of his life. And can I tell you something? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Jesus didn't have to face the traffic that I have to face out here. Jesus didn't have it as tough as I had. Oh, really? Are you kidding me? Jesus came into this world, and I mean, you talk about having it tough. 
having absolutely nothing. Jesus had nothing in this world. In Isaiah chapter 53, I read this verse several weeks ago in our sermons on Calvary. But it says this, he's despised, the rejected of, of men, a man of sorrows and what? Acquainted with grief. I mean, here's the Lord Jesus. He came into this world. He left all that he left in heaven to come into this world. I mean, all the glory and the adoration of the angels. And he left all that to come in this world and to do what? He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. But can I tell you, and he had problems. Matthew 8, 19, Jesus said, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head down. He didn't have a place even to lay his head. And yet, in spite of all that, guess what? He had joy. You say, how do you know that? There's an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Psalms, chapter 45, and verse number 7, it says this, Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness, therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with what? The oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Lord Jesus, while he was here on this earth, having to go through everything that he went through, and yet he did it, and he had joy. And now Jesus looks at you and me and says, What I had, I want you to have. Can I have an amen? amen? You say, how do you know for sure Jesus had joy? Well, listen to this. People were constantly flocking to his side. Little children were continuously running around him. He was continuously being invited to weddings and suppers, not because he was a religious grouch, not because he was a religious grump, not because he was a religious grinch. No, sir. Jesus wasn't a cosmic killjoy. He radiated with joy. He was like a breath of fresh air in a sour, stinky world. That's what Jesus was. In fact, I've been preaching on Calvary for the last several Sundays. Can I tell you something? This is crazy to think about, but do you know when Jesus was even going to the cross, he was full of joy? When he was going to the cross, he had joy about it. You say, preacher, how? I don't know, but here's what we read about it. Hebrews 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for thee, what's the next word? That was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Even when he was going to Calvary, he had joy. Now, buddy, you top that one. Hey, take you out somewhere and beat you to a, within an inch of your life. Then nail you to a cross. Man, I'm telling you, I'd be crying the blues. I'd be spitting back. I'd be, I'd be biting at them. I'd, I'd, not him. Jesus had joy. And then he looks at you and me and says, okay, I want you to have joy. Just like I had. Now, do you have it? I know what some of you are saying. Under God, preacher, ain't no way. Well, let me just tell you this. You can. It all boils down to a choice. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is based upon circumstances. You ever thought about the word happiness? The first part, the root word of the word happiness is the word hap. Hap. And that means chance. Happiness is really based on chance. If, things, if you're getting ready to go on vacation next week, you're probably pretty happy. If you just come back off vacation, you probably ain't too happy. Happy, happiness is based on What's happening to you? Joy is based upon Jesus. Happiness comes from the world around me. Joy comes from the world above me. So the Holy Spirit, I said all I'd say this. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy. 
The same kind of joy that Jesus had is what the Holy Spirit wants you to have tonight. Question, do you have it? Do you have it? Well, let me tell you tonight, here's my message and I'm done, but joy is found in three things. Let me run through them quickly and we'll go. But I have three things. Joy, you find joy in three things. Number one, you find joy. Joy is found, number one, in poof, forgiveness. Joy is found in forgiveness. Oh, you're saying, yeah, Brother Tim, you're talking about being saved. Yeah, I remember that, how the joy and all that flooded my heart. And I get all that. And by the way, when you get saved, there'll be some joy on the inside. Isaiah chapter 12, verse number 3 says this, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. I'm telling you, getting saved will give you joy on the inside. You can't live in a mess of your life, come to Jesus, and all that stuff be forgiven, and the Holy Spirit move into your life, and you not have joy about it. Man, you're going to have joy when you get saved. I remember when the Lord sent those disciples out on that preaching mission that time. And they came back, Jesus, hey boys, how'd it go? Oh, they said, Jesus, it was unbelievable. Jesus, even the spirits and the serpents are subject unto us. Jesus said, don't get happy about that. Luke chapter 10, verse number 20, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. Boy, I'm glad when I got saved, God gave me joy. Hallelujah for joy. But I'll tell you something, friend. I'm not necessarily talking about being saved. I'm just talking about when you and I constantly keep our sins confessed, the end result of that is joy. How many of y'all went out and sinned last week? Well, nobody. Man, what a good crowd that we've got in here. How many of y'all went out and sinned last week? Second question, what'd you do? <laughs> Cough it up. What? Got no comment. We all did, didn't we? But I'm telling you something, when you and I, listen, sickness can't rob you of your joy. Sorrow can't rob you of your joy. Suffering can't rob you of your joy. Here's Paul and Silas at midnight in the jail at Philippi. Their backs have been, been beaten a fire out of. It's midnight. They've been thrust into the inner prison. They've been done wrong. But at midnight, they prayed and they sang praises. Not sin, not, not sickness, not sorrow, not suffering. None of that can take your joy away. But I'll tell you something that can. That's sin. Sin is a joy killer and sin is a joy stealer. That's the reason David, you know, with the mess he got in, I mean, with that, uh, that mess with Bathsheba, we all know what happened with that. And I'm not going to the gory details, but here's what he prayed in Psalm 51, 12. Restore unto me the what? Not my salvation, but what? The joy of it. You see, when sin walks in the front door, joy walks out the back door. Hey, your heart's not a duplex where sin can live on one side and joy can live on the other side because where there's joy, there cannot be sin. And where there's sin, there cannot be joy. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both of them at the same time. And buddy, there's something about it. When we do sin, and we do sin, every last one of us sin, 
Every day of our life, we do something. We, we break the law of God. We, we, we do something we shouldn't do or else we don't do something that we should do. Sins of commission, sins of omission. We commit those sins every day. But every time you sin, I want to encourage you, right when you sin, you become aware of it. Take it to God in prayer. Seek God's forgiveness. And when that happens, guess what? Joy can once again flood your soul. I said a moment ago, talking about that mess David was in, committed the daughter with Bathsheba. Oh, the mess that he brought in his life. And the thing about David, after he did that and then killed her husband, can you imagine a man after God's own heart doing something like that? He's fallen after the flesh. He's living in verse 19, 20, and 21. He's messed up. His life has become a mess. And instead of picking all that mess up and bringing it to God and saying, Oh, God, here's what I've done. Forgive me. You know what he did? He kept silent about it for a whole year. Didn't say one thing to God about it. And you talk about no joy. David had no joy. In Psalms 32, verse 3 and verse 4, here's what he said about that year that he kept silent about his sin. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. And I don't know. Y'all leave that up for just a second. I don't know all that's implied by that, but I don't like the sound of it. Do you? Bones roaring, waxing old. I don't like the sound of that. Then he went on to say this. For day and night thy heavy hand was upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought. of You know what he's saying? I was in a pickle. I was in a mess. I had no joy whatsoever. But when he put, picked that mess up and he brought it to God and laid it at the feet of Jesus and sought God's forgiveness, here's what he said about it. Psalms 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. My iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And guess what God did? And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Back up in verse, number, verse 1 of that same chapter, David said this. David said, blessed, that word blessed means happy, happy. How many of y'all remember that Duck Dynasty guy? Happy, happy, happy. He didn't look too happy when he said that. But David said, oh, the joy that flooded my soul when I picked that mess up and brought it to God and laid it down at the feet of God. David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord, when the transgression is forgiven and my sin has been covered. Blessed, happy, joyful. I'll tell you where joy is found. It's found in forgiveness. Number two, it's found in this. Not only is it found in forgiveness, number two, it's found in, poof, it's found in closeness. Closeness. What I simply mean by that is when we get close to God, one of the consequences of drawing into God's presence is joy. Man, if we could just get people to understand that in these days, it is a divine impossibility to stay at a distance from God and still have joy. We find joy only as we draw ourselves into God's presence or as we position ourselves close to God. I can prove it. Poof. Psalm 16, verse 11. That will show me the path of life. In thy presence is... Oh, man, that's what I need. Where do you get it? In thy presence. You see, in our day, sad but true, don't be mad at me, but uh, sad but true, too many of us are more interested in drawing close to the world. And when we draw close to the world, 
we draw away from God. And when we get away from God's presence, joy walks right out the door of our heart. You and I can't hang on to God with one hand and hang on to the world. Too many of us are trying to do that. Too many, and I said us, but too many of us are trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the will of God, and you can't do that. You know what the end result of that's going to be? Misery and not joy. So get your foot out of the world. Get your both feet in the will of God. Draw into the presence of God. And when we get there, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Amen. And amen. You know why I don't think many of us want to get in the presence of God? We're afraid that people think we're some kind of weirdo. Am I right? You know something? They think that anybody that wants to get close to God or live in the presence of God is a weirdo just because they're normal. Hey, you're not weird for wanting to get close to God. You're not some kind of fanatic if you want to draw into the presence of God. It is, it is, it is, it is normal for us as God's people to want to live close to God. And maybe one of the reasons many of us are so miserable tonight is because we've got one foot in the world we're trying to listen to the world's music, trying to hang on to the world's hand, trying to go to the places of the world, and yet at the same time, we want to try to hang on to God the best we can, and the end result of all that is misery and no joy. And you're welcome. There's only joy in forgiveness. There's joy in closeness. You say, preacher, I don't know. Try it. If I'm wrong, I'll give you your money back. Go back to that Psalms verse again. How simple is this? Thou will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures. World offices, temporary pleasures. Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25, Moses choosing rather to suffer the afflictions of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Anything the world's going to give us is temporary. What is that verse? Proverbs 10, 22. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. I used to cut meat for a living. And when we would cut meat, we had a program that Lowe's was involved in at that time, and it was called Best Side Down. Have you ever bought a roast and get home and the hole underneath the side of it is full of fat? Maybe you went and bought steaks, spent $12.99 for ribeye steaks, and you got home and was going to throw them on the grill. And I mean, there was a streak of fat running right through the middle of them things, and you didn't even know it. It, it was on the underside of it. Well, we had a program where we called it Best Side Down when they guaranteed when you get home, the bottom side looks better than the top side does. And can I tell you something? Anything the devil tries to give you, it may look good on the top, but underneath it's rotten. It's full of fat. But anything God gives you looks good on the top, but it looks even better on the bottom. And ladies and gentlemen, if we're trying to hang on to the world and hang on to God, there's not going to be no joy. It's found, in, it's found in forgiveness, it's found in closeness, and I'm done. But it's found in busyness. Getting busy for God. God didn't save you just to sit on the church pew. God saved you with the intention of you getting involved doing something for him. Old, uh, old brother Bill Tucker, 
Brother Bill Tucker was a missionary out Midwest to the Mormons. So he went out to like Idaho and Utah, and he started. He started independent, fundamental, premillennial Baptist churches in Mormon country. That's what he did. That's, and he was a missionary. We supported, we supported him here at Woodland. And he's still alive, and he's retired now. But he, he used to go out there and he started. But he was a big coon dog man. I mean, he was like, he was all about coon dogs. And I never will forget, he told me this story one time about them coon dogs. And he said, uh, you know, I, there's uh, evidently a lot of coons and stuff and, out there. And he said, man, I'd put them dogs on my truck. I'd put them in them cages. And he said, they just fought and just growled and tried to bite each other in them cages. But he said, as soon as I'd turn them loose and they'd get in the field and one would strike a trail, he said, they'd become best friends. And he said, the moral of the story, coon dogs ain't made for cages. Christians ain't made for church pews. You know why we are biting at one another, clawing at one another? Because we ain't doing nothing. We're riding in the cage to glory. Get out here and strike a trail somewhere. Get a lost person on your heart. Go after them. Hey, get a bus route. Go after them. Hey, get a class. Get in the choir. Do something. And just see if it don't get a little better for you. Because joy is found in busyness. And I'm done. So let's look at this. Look up on the screen. Nehemiah 8.10. What a verse. The joy of the Lord. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is what? So if I understand it right, we get our strength for the Christian life from the joy of the Lord. So if I was the devil, some of you think I am, but if I was the devil, what I'd attack is your joy. Because if I could get you joy, you ain't got no strength. And I can just walk by, thump you on the head, and you just fall back. You know why? You ain't got no strength. You're a pushover. You're weak. You're anemic. You're, you're, you're Clark Kent before the telephone booth. We're, we're weak. We're run down. We ain't got no joy. Therefore, we have no strength. And the devil just comes by. Boo! And it's like, scares us to death. And we just give in all the time to the world and temptation. Ain't got no strength. We're Clark Kent before the telephone booth. But I'm going to tell you, something happened to that old boy when he went in that telephone booth. He may have went in weak, anemic, pathetic Clark Kent, but he came out, bless God, Superman. Leaping over tall buildings in single bound. Faster than a speeding locomotive. I mean, man, bullets ricochet off of him. Throw a gun at him, he ducked. But bless God, the bullets would ricochet off of him. I'm telling you, man, too many of us are living our Christian life on the Clark Kent level because we ain't got no joy. And the devil comes along and just blows us down and we give in. Let me tell you why you keep going back to the bottle. You ain't got no joy. Let me tell you why you keep going back to that relationship. You ain't got no joy. Let me tell you why you keep falling into that trap. You ain't got no joy. Let me tell you why you keep looking at that garbage on your phone. I'll tell you why. You ain't got no joy. You can't have joy. 
and have that stuff in your life. But when we give it to Jesus, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So if I was a devil, I'd get you joy. And you know something? Hundreds of us sitting right here in this building tonight have let him have it. People can't steal your joy from you. Hey, the only person that, gets you, that can give up your joy is you. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to have the same kind of joy that my Savior, that Jesus had when he was on it. In fact, I'm going to give it to you if you'll surrender to me. How easy is that? Amen? <laughs> Don't smile, you're going to hurt your face. Joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the Bible.